Well, good morning, Sage Mott. My name is Matt Carter, lead pastor here at this church. Honored to be with you today. I want to say hi to the uh, literally thousands of people that are watching online right now. We usually have between two and 3,000 folks that are watching. Um, I thought I'd say hi to you and remind you that next Sunday is Easter. And uh, if there is ever a time, if there's ever a Sunday where it might be good to come back to church, it's on the Sunday that Jesus Christ rose from the grave and conquered death. So I want to invite you to do that next Sunday. <clears throat> Got three services, actually four, and I'll talk about that during the announcements. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to be in one verse today, verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. We'll be there in just a minute. Excuse me. Over the last several weeks, here's what we've learned. Peter's been talking about how we draw near to the Lord. We, do, we draw near to him for our salvation. We draw near to him in our everyday lives. We do that. And as we do that, we're being transformed into the image of Christ. As we do that, we're becoming the permanent dwelling place of the presence of God. As we do that, we're, we've been given new identities in Jesus Christ. We're a chosen race. We're a royal priesthood. We're people that have past tense received mercy. Finally, last week, we talked about how we have a new foundation, that Jesus is our cornerstone. It's a, it's a foundation that we're standing on that can withstand every storm in our life. And then what Peter's going to do, everybody check this out. What Peter's going to do, after spending really two chapters talking about what God has done in us and what God has done for us, he stops and he turns a corner very quickly and he says, okay, here's how you and I are going to now live differently in light of what God has done in us and what he's done for us. In other words, in light of the fact that you and I are a new creation we're going to walk out the doors of the church and we're going to live and we're going to respond in different ways because of what he's done in us. <clears throat> he's echoing the words of the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Let me just read it to you. Paul says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. <clears throat> the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so Paul's saying, church, that if you're in Jesus Christ, that if he's in you, that your old way of thinking, your old way of acting, your old way of responding has passed away, he says. And behold, the new way of thinking, a new way of acting, a new way of responding has come. Why has the old thing passed away and the new thing has come? Is because you're a new creation. You're not the same person anymore. And for the last several verses, really the last two chapters, Peter's been describing in intimate detail all the ways that God has made you a brand new creation. And because of that, over the next four weeks, we're going to take a break from Peter next week, and I'm just going to do a, a message that's focused on the gospel, focused on, um, it's called the gospel versus religion, and how we're not in a religion, but we, we, we worship Christ and, and the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. But over the next few weeks in Peter, when we look at it, we're going we're gonna to see him show us three things. That because of the fact that we've been made new creations, number one, 
we're going to see that the believer will respond differently than the world to sin. That's what we're going to look at today. The believer is going to respond differently than the world to sin. In two weeks, we're going to look at the believer will respond differently than the world to authority in our lives. It's going to be a tough message. Number three, the third thing we're going to see is the believer will respond differently than the world to unjust suffering. And so that's what he's about to show us. We're only going to address the first one today, that because we're new creations in Christ Jesus, because all the things that he's done in us and for us, you and I are going to respond differently than the world does to sin. Okay, so let's look at this text together. Look at verse 11. Peter says, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. So after going into incredible depth over the last several verses about God has radically changed us, radically transformed us, Peter says, look, in light of that, I urge you to abstain or to say no to sin. Now for those of us who are believers, as in this one verse, Peter just addressed three things. I'll read it to you again, just real quickly. He said, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against our soul. In that one sentence, in that one verse, Peter just does three things. He told us three things. Number one, he told us the believer's command to abstain from sin. The believer's command to abstain from sin. The second thing he told us in that one verse is the believer's ability to abstain from sin. And the third thing he showed us in that verse is the believer's reason to abstain from sin. And so those are the three things we're going to see today in this sermon. Our command to say no to sin, our ability to say no to sin, and then the reason ultimately we say no to sin. Walk through those things and we'll be done. Let's look at the first one together, the believer's command to abstain from sin. Look at 1 Peter 2.11 again. Beloved, that's you and me. I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain, to say no, from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. And so he's urging us. He's begging us. He's saying, believer, child of God, abstain from fleshly lusts. Now, here's a question. What are these fleshly lusts that we're supposed to be abstaining from? Like, what are these things, right? Well, the first thing that we can kind of conclude from this verse is that even though we're believers, even though we're children of God, even though we're new creations in Christ Jesus, I think Peter's pointing out that we're still gonna have these lusts of our flesh, okay? When I was in college, I, I started following Jesus my freshman year at Texas A&M. And, and when I first started walking with the Lord, I really did think, I really believed, I don't know where I picked it up, but I really did believe that as soon as I became a Christian, as soon as I started walking with Jesus, that I would instantly be completely transformed and that every desire for every sin I ever had would instantly go away. I, I thought that. And in some instances, God does that. I, I, you hear stories all the time of people that were alcoholics and they get saved and in that moment, they, they never drink again. And so God absolutely, when he makes this new creation, 
can take away many of the evil desires that we had before we were saved. But I learned pretty quickly as a freshman in college that that's not always how it works. Because when we're saved, okay, God does make us a new creation. We receive the Holy Spirit. So we now have inside of us the presence of a living God. But what's the problem? Is that we're still made of this stuff called flesh, right? And this flesh that we're made of still carries with it a lot of the evil desires that we had before we received the Spirit. And so what Peter's teaching us here, listen, is that the mark of a believer and the mark of a follower of Christ is not that you don't have any evil desires, but the mark of a follower of Christ is now you now have the ability and you now have the desire to say no to those lusts of the flesh. Okay, I'll give you an example. Um, This last week right here at this church, I found out, someone told me, that somebody was here in the church. Actually, they're not here in the church. But somebody was not in the church was spreading a rumor about me. Okay? And guys, it was, it was mean. It was ugly. Um, and the worst part of it, it was just <laughs> it was an absolute, complete, and total fabrication. It was just, there was zero, zero truth to it. And... When I heard about it, I mean, here's the thing. I'm a pastor, and so I'm supposed to respond better than everybody else. And I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. But here's the thing. I'm still a human. Like, I'm still made of flesh. And so when I heard that there's a person that was spreading a rumor about me that was completely made up, let's just put it this way. My flesh had some sinful desires. Amen? Y'all with me? Y'all ever been there? All right. Chuck just said amen. <clears throat> okay. But because I'm a follower of Christ and because I have the Holy Spirit, I actually now have a greater desire, which is to obey the Lord. And I have the ability because of the Holy Spirit to obey the Lord. And so I abstain from the desires of my flesh. And here's the thing. I use the illustration of someone gossiping against me for a reason. Because a lot of us, when we hear the phrase lust of the flesh, what's the first thing that comes to mind? When you hear lust of the flesh, you think about sexual sin. And so some of you here, that may be your hang-up. But for a lot of you here, it's not. And so I, I, I use the illustration of gossip because when you hear lust of the flesh we think of sexual sin and a lot of you are not struggling with that and so I don't want you to tune this out and think this doesn't apply to you but the thing I want you to remember today church is that when the Bible talks about lust of the flesh the Bible talks about deeds of the flesh it talks about so many things other than sexual sin Okay, one of the things that the Bible talks about when it talks about the deeds of the flesh or lust of the flesh is idolatry. Okay, idolatry. Let me ask you a question. Don't shout it out, but do you think you struggle with idolatry? Because when we hear idolatry, what, what do we think of? We think about Old Testament, golden calf, false god statues kind of stuff. And so a lot of us, when we hear idolatry, we don't think that applies to us because we're thinking Old Testament bound down to a golden calf and that sort of thing. But the biblical definition of idolatry is much broader than that. Idolatry 
is when you place an importance on anything in your life to a greater degree than you do God. So let me ask you again, do you struggle with idolatry? Yes, you do. Last week, gave you the phrase, if I didn't have blank, I couldn't make it. If there's anything you would put in that blank other than Jesus, the Bible has a term for it. It's called an idol. So if you place a, a, greater, uh, a greater importance on money or your body image or your family or your marriage or success at your job, anything in your life that you place a greater degree of importance than the Lord, the Bible has a term for that. It's called an idol. And those are described as deeds of the flesh or lust of the flesh. <clears throat> the Bible talks about lust of the flesh. It talks about anger. When you lash out uh, in anger at your spouse or your kids or your coworkers or your boss or your dog or whatever, that's giving in to the evil desires of your flesh. You're still made of flesh, even though you have the spirit. It talks about selfishness. The Bible describes a deed of the flesh as selfishness. When you consider yourself more important than other people, when you act in a self-centered, self-focused kind of way, that's a deed of the flesh. Talks about strife a lot. Talks about strife as a deed of the flesh or lust of the flesh. If you're a person that stirs up conflict or stirs up disunity or you're living in a state of perpetual unforgiveness in somebody in your life, that's a lust of the flesh. And so when the scripture talks about lust of the flesh, again, it's not just talking about sexual sin. That's certainly part of it. But it's talking about all these other things. And so take a second and think about it. Like what are... Some of the lust of the flesh that you wrestle with. I think that's a bad term. I'm going to talk about that in a minute. What are some of the lusts of the flesh that you see in your life? Okay, think about that. Our command as new creations is to abstain. It's to say no, to walk away from those lusts of the flesh. Okay, so that's the first thing Peter does is he says this. Number one, he gives us the believer's command to abstain from sin. Now, the second thing he's going to do is now he's going to talk about the believer's ability to abstain from sin. In other words, now that we've been given the command to abstain from fleshly lust, then how in the world do we do that? How do we do that? Well, in the next part of the text, Peter gives us a really important insight about our, our ability to say no to sin. And it's something that I know I don't think a lot about. I don't hear uh, Christians talking about it much. I don't hear them reference it often when talking about how you avoid and abstain from sin in our lives, but it's, it's pretty interesting. So let's look at it. 1 Peter 2.11. Beloved, I urge you, look at the next part there. He says, as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust. And so he tells us, that you are to say no to sin, to abstain from fleshly lust as aliens and strangers. What does that mean? Well, those two words are both synonyms and it means a visitor. It means a visitor. The word aliens and strangers were very, very common Greek words and they both mean this. It was describing someone that was a temporary resident in a place, but their home was somewhere else, Okay. And so Peter's teaching us, and listen, he's teaching us that a huge part of your ability 
to say no to the desires of your flesh is when you remember that this world is not your home. Like you remember that, you think about that. This world is not my home. I'm a temporary resident. I'm passing through this world on my way to my true home. And because of that, I'm not gonna get entangled with the stuff of this world. He says, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust. Listen, the whole point that Peter's making right here is this, is that you and I are to walk in holiness, that we're to say no to the sinful desires of our flesh, not just because they're wrong, not just because God has this list of do's and don'ts that we're supposed to follow as Christians, but you and I say no to sin because it's not who you are anymore. It's not who you are anymore. One way to think about it is this. You guys ever heard the phrase, you can take the boy out of the country, but you, take, you can't take the country out of the boy? Y'all ever heard that? I love that phrase. Here's what that phrase means. That you can take the boy or the girl, whatever, out of the environment that has made him what they are, but you can never take what made them what they are out of the person, okay? Absolutely 100% true for me. I grew up in East Texas, a little town called Athens, Texas. And um, my cousin's grandfather, my cousin lived down the street, his grandfather owned a farm, a ranch, it was about 500 acres outside of Athens, beautiful. Um, about 20 minutes outside, it was, it was really close. I spent my entire childhood going out to that farm. I loved it. There was eight or nine stock ponds. My cousin and I would go fishing all the time. We hunted deer, we hunted dove, we hunted quail. Um, they planted fresh corn and purple whole peas and peaches out there. And to this day, see, you guys are old enough to moan right there, aren't you? In 11.15, they'll be dead silent when I say that. They're like, what's your point? Where are you going with this, preacher? Here's my point. I've never in my life eaten any of those things from a grocery store that were as good as what I ate from that farm. Never even gotten close. I love this service. <laughs> and so apart from my primary identity in Christ, at the core of who I am, I'm a country boy. Well, what happened? I moved to the big city, right? I moved to the big city of Austin, Texas, which is the hippie capital of the universe. It's a little piece of San Francisco right in the middle of Texas. And here's what I figured out. I can live in the city I can do the things that city people do. I can go downtown. I can hang out on South Congress. I could go to Second Street and go to a nice restaurant. I went to ACL Fest once. Um, I, I wore skinny jeans one time. Um, but no matter how many times I did the things that city people do, it never quite felt right to me. It, it never felt like home to me. All in the world I wanted to do was get out of the city and go sit in a deer stand, right? Because you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy. And that's what Peter's saying. He's saying, look, one of the reasons that you can say no to the lust of the flesh is when you realize that you can take the Christian out of holiness, but you can never take holiness out of the Christian. You can, you can take the Christian out of their eternal home, but you can never take the eternal home out of the Christian. 
And because of that, as strangers and aliens in this world, sinning is something that you might do, but sinning is never something you're going to feel at ease in. It's something that you might do, but you're never going to feel at home there. Sinning is something you might do, but sinning is never something that you will stay in. Why? Because it's not who you are anymore. This world is not your home. I think that's the whole point of what Jesus is getting at in the story of the prodigal son. Son leaves the, his father, which is a representative of, of God. Son leaves the father, looks at the faraway land and says, there's gotta be a better life for me outside of the love of my father here at my father's house. And so he takes off to the faraway land of sin and he sins like crazy. Jesus says he squandered his inheritance on loose living. But he has this moment, right? He's, he leaves his home, starts sinning like crazy. And he has this moment where he's sitting in the pig pen. And he's covered in pig slop. And Jesus said he had this moment where he comes to his senses. It's, it's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. But he comes to his senses. And it hits him like a ton of bricks that this is not my home. This pig pen of sin is not my home. This, this faraway land of sin is not my home. And so he comes to his senses and he gets up and he gets out of the pig pen of his sin and he walks back home. And so for the truth, listen, for the true son or daughter of God who is walking in sin, you will always, always, always have a come to your senses kind of moment. Always. Every single time in my life, I've taken a trip to the faraway land of sin and I've done it a couple of times, but every single time that I've done it, there's a voice inside my head that starts in my heart, that starts whispering low at first, this is not who you are. This is not your home. And if that didn't wake me up and get me out of the pig pen, it starts screaming. This is not who you are. This is not your home. And I get up, I come to my senses, I get up and I go home. Every single solitary time the scripture says it, those who are born of God cannot continue in sin. It's impossible. And so here's the thing. I'm gonna say something I, 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 I realized this years ago. I don't always live it out, but you can take it to the bank, it's true. I don't want you to ever forget this. If you don't remember anything I say today, besides that right there, I want you to remember this. For the believer, sinning is a monumental waste of time. It's a monumental waste of time. Because I don't care how fun or enticing the faraway land of sin might seem to you. Here's a promise you can take to the bank that for a son or daughter of the living God, you will never be happy there. You will never be at peace there. You will never be at home there. And on top of all that, you'll never stay there because the faraway land of sin is not your home. You will always have a come to your senses kind of moment. You'll get up and you'll come back every single time. As a matter of fact, if you are comfortable in the faraway land of sin. If you do feel at home in the faraway land of sin, 
then the only explanation for that is that you're not a son or daughter of God. Because the son or daughter of God will always come home. And because of that, I think we need to change our language. I think we need to change our language. We need to change our thinking about why we don't sin. And it happens at times. People ask us, why do you not get drunk? Why do you not flirt with people that are not your spouse? Why do uh, you refuse to gossip? Everybody's gossiping. You don't do it. Why do you not do that? I've noticed that you know, when, when someone's wronged you, you forgive them and you show love to them. How do you do that? I think the biblical, one of the biblical answers to that question is I choose not to sin because sinning is what people from this world do and this world is not my home. It's a biblical answer to that question, okay? So here's what we've seen so far. The believers command to abstain from sin. Peter says abstain from fleshly lusts. To the believer's ability to abstain from sin, he says as aliens and strangers. Abstain from fleshly lusts. And the last thing, number three, the believer's reason to abstain from sin. There's a, there's a, there's a reason he's going to give us about why it's so important that we say no to sin. He's going to show us here in a second. Let's read it, read it again, 1 Peter 2.11. He said, beloved, I urge you. And I want you to look at those words for a second. Peter, the Holy Spirit put those words in there for a reason. I urge you. He's begging us. He said, beloved, I urge you as strangers and aliens to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against your soul. But you're saying, here's the reason that I'm urging you, I'm begging you to say no, to abstain from fleshly lusts. He says, because sin wages war. Against your soul. That is an extremely intense phrase in the Greek. I want you to hear this. This is huge. Peter's not saying that sin is battling against your soul. He's not saying that sin is fighting against your soul. That's a phrase that means a full frontal, hostile, all-out declaration of war. Peter's saying that sin has declared all-out war against your eternal soul. So in a lot of that, I want to ask you a question. For the sins that you've allowed to sort of creep into your life, those lusts of the flesh that you find showing up in your life now and then, here's the question. How seriously do you take that sin? You take it kind of serious, it's an issue, it's a problem. Take it pretty serious. Do you take it really serious? How seriously do you take the sin, the lust of the flesh that you see coming up in your life? I ask that question because I fear we've gotten to the place in the church where we don't view sin in our life as seriously as the Bible does. Because when it comes to certain sins like anger, gossip, love of money, things like that, a lot of Christians don't even care if it's in their life. They just let it hang out. There's other sins that in our culture we view as a bigger deal, lust, pornography, things like that. And here's what I hear Christians saying a lot. I heard this a lot in my last church. I hear 
young men talking about pornography, things like that. And I hear them say, there's some sins in my life that I'm struggling with. There's some sin in my life that I'm wrestling with. Heard that all the time. What Peter's saying here, church, is we've got to change our thinking when it comes to how we view our sin because the Bible is saying here that sin is not struggling with you. The Bible's saying that sin is not wrestling with you. The Bible is saying that sin has declared war on you. As a matter of fact, I want, I want to show you really quickly. Don't turn there. But I want to show you in Genesis chapter 4. I want you to listen to how God the Father describes sin. He's talking to Cain right before he kills his brother Abel. Cain gets angry because the Lord doesn't accept the sacrifice. And I want you to listen to how God the Father describes sin to Cain. In Genesis 4.3. It says, in the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, God had no regard. Watch this. It says, so Cain was very angry, and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? Now look at verse seven. This is God speaking and it's critical. God says in verse seven, if you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. So God didn't like Cain's offering and Cain started getting really, really angry. But God says to Cain, Cain, you have got to rule over this sin. Right now, because that's sin. God says, this sin that you're entertaining right now in your heart, this sin that you're letting begin to fester in your heart, God says he, that sin is like a wild, hungry, angry lion that is crouching at your door and he's just waiting for you to open the door because his desire is to devour you. That sin's desire it's salivating, waiting for you to open the door so it can pounce and take you out. That's how God describes sin. And so if God the Father just describes sin as a wild, hungry, angry lion that's crouching outside our door and its only desire is to devour us, then I go back to the question, how seriously should we take our sin? How seriously should we handle our sin? Well, listen carefully how the Apostle Paul tells us we should handle our sin. In Romans 8, 13, Paul says, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so Paul says, you've got a hungry angry lion of sin, he's crouching at your door and its only desire in the world is to devour you. And so if that's your story today, don't wrestle with it. Don't struggle with it. And for crying out loud, don't pet it. 
What do you do when you've got an angry, hungry lion sitting outside your door that's waiting to devour you? You get a 357 Magnum, you load it with hollow point bullets, you open the door, put it between its eyes and empty the magazine in the name of Jesus. That's what you do. <laughs> Sorry, animal lovers, we're talking about sin here. <laughs> you don't wrestle with sin. Stop wrestling with it. Stop struggling with it. Scripture says put it to death. Put it to death because it has declared war on you. That's why Peter says in verse two, or chapter two, verse 11, he says, beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lust, which wage war against your soul. So I'll end with this before we go into the Lord's Supper. Some of you are here today and honestly, you're, and honestly, like you're in a good place. As we're talking about that, you're, you're, you're fighting all the lusts of the flesh that are coming into your life and there's not really any one thing that you can put your finger on that you're not actively putting to death. Maybe there's some stuff you don't realize, but pretty much you're doing really good. Kind of like the prodigal son. I mean, the, uh, the older brother of the prodigal son. You're staying at home, you're working out in the fields, and, 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 and if that's you, that's amazing. But here's what I want you to remember today, if that's you. That the only reason that you stayed home with the father and didn't go run away to the faraway land of sin it's not because you're better than other people. It's because of the grace of God. It's because of the grace and the mercy of God. And so if that's you, thank God today. Give him glory for that. That was the problem with the older brother is he took credit for it. And God wants you to give him glory for your faithfulness in your life. But for others of you, you're here, you're a believer. Listen. But you're at this place in your life where you're kind of in the same spot that the prodigal son was before he left. It's you're looking at the faraway land of sin and it's looking kind of good to you. And, 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 and you're thinking about going there. And you're looking at the faraway land of sin and you're thinking to yourself, you know, I wonder if there's something out there that I'm missing out on. There's a better life for me outside of my father's house. If that's you, and if that's where you're at today, I want you to know something. That temptation is a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie from the pit of hell. You may go, but you'll just be wasting your time. Because you're a son or you're a daughter of God, you will always come back home. You'll just have some pig stink on you when you get back. Lastly, some of you are here today, you're a believer. I'm speaking of believers today. You're a believer, you're in church this morning, and truth be told, you're already in the faraway land of sin, and you're miserable. The reason you're miserable is because the faraway land of sin is not your home, and that sin is not who you are. So today, right now, by the Spirit, and come to your senses. You're miserable. That's the Lord in his grace saying to you, this is not who you are. This is not your home. And if that's you, just right where you're at in your heart and your mind, come to your senses, get up out of the pig pen. You don't even have to dust yourself off. All you gotta do in the world is start walking home. And here's what you're gonna find. 
is that your heavenly father has been watching for you the whole time. He never stops scanning the horizon waiting for his son or his daughter to take that step out of the pig pen and just start walking home. And what you're going to find, Jesus told us this in the story, is that it said as soon as the father saw the son, well, he was still a long way off. It's amazing. It said the father hiked up his skirt and took off on a dead sprint to the son. And when he got there, he wrapped his arms around him. He said, my son was dead, but now he's alive. He was gone, but now he's come home. And he wrapped his arms around him. He clothed him with the robe and he threw a party for him. Doesn't say, I told you so. Doesn't say, why'd you go in the first place? He just welcomed him home. And if that's where you are, that's the invitation today. How does God do that? How is he able, when his sons and daughters completely blow it, take off like idiots to the faraway land of sin, how is he able to just welcome us back? And throw a party for us. The answer is because of the cross. Because your sin has already been forgiven. Because the blood of Jesus has already been shed and paid the penalty for all of your sin. And that's why he can just welcome you home. And that's why on the night before the cross, he was sitting with his disciples and he held up some bread they got quiet and they began to listen and he took it and he broke it just like that. And he said, men, this is my body. Tomorrow, my body is gonna be broken for you. He said, take it and eat it. And often as you do it, do it in remembrance of me and you should have a little Lord's Supper cup there. And in the top, you can peel that off and take the body of Christ. And Just a second, I want to ask you to eat it. And when you do, I want you to remember that. I'm going to preach on this, not too long, but that word remember, it's, it's a word that means to go back as deeply and profoundly as you can to the moment when Christ's body was broken. On this Palm Sunday, I want you to go back in your mind and go back in your heart. I want you to remember the cross. You're forgiven today because of the body of Jesus Christ. So take and eat, and often as you do, do it in remembrance of him. the same night he took the cup and he held it up he said gentlemen this is this is my blood it's the blood of a new covenant and I'm offering my blood as the forgiveness of sin he said take it and drink it and as often as you do, do it in remembrance of me. So I want you to remember the blood of Jesus that was shed for you.
and that you're completely forgiven because of it. So take and drink and remember Jesus. Let's pray. With their heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's any here that have never trusted in Jesus and his work and shed blood on the cross for the forgiveness of their sin and been made a new creation, right now I want you to ask Jesus to do that. Just say, Lord, I, I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Tell him that you trust in the work of Jesus for your salvation. Tell him you want to trade your sin for the righteousness of God. For those of you that are in the faraway land of sin today, come home. Just start walking back. He's waiting for you. He's ready to throw you a party. For those of you that have been home the entire time, thank you. God, you're good. I thank you on this Palm Sunday as we remember on that day when everybody was shouting your name, Hosanna in the highest. Just a few short days, they're going to be shouting your name, crucify him. Father, I pray that our voices would not be among the mockers, but our voices would be among the ones that praise you and abstain from the things that put you on the cross. Lord Jesus, we love you, and it's an honor to worship you now. In Jesus' name.